Brand new podcast, everybody. Stop farting in the microphone, Isla. I'm here with my daughter, Isla Kreiser, who, Hi. throughout this podcast, you will hear, is throwing a ball on the roof because she wanted to have a catch. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, Mom left me alone, and, like, you weren't outside. I was so in the middle of working. Well, yeah. I called you when I said that. You called me, and she calls me towards the last ten minutes of the podcast and says... Uh, I want to have a catch. I want to throw the ball. So you'll hear Isla Aww. in the middle of this pot, in the end of this podcast. Uh, but this is a fantastic podcast. I am, I've been wanting to talk to, um, Greg Barrett for a long time. Uh, let's real quick get to some business. Uh, first up, we've added a fifth show in Philly to the Trocadero. I think it's February 22nd. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's getting dark. It's getting dark, and we have to go have a catch, so this is going to be a quick intro read. Ladies and gentlemen, we are also adding a second show to the Wilbur. Two shows. Two shows Wilbur. Two shows Wilbur. Like Charlotte's Web. Two shows Wilbur. You got it. Except you didn't read Charlotte's Web, did you? No, I read it with Miss um, Chester, and I watched the movie with Miss Chester. The code is Boston. B-O-S-T-O-N. And that starts right now uh, at noon. No. Uh, February or noon <coughs> this Wednesday, uh, eleven fifteen. Presale noon eleven fifteen ends eleven sixteen at midnight. The presale code is Boston. So if you would like to get tickets to see me at the Wilbur Theater, uh, February third, two thousand eighteen. The second show is added. The first show is sold out. Yes. So. I hope that's clear enough. God damn it, I'm a bad reader. <laughs> um, Trocadero. Uh, the I'll be shooting my special. I hopefully in Philly we Hefler. added a Thursday show. Hefler. you're you might be. Tampa Improv is sold out. I'm there this weekend. Clusa Casino is sold out. I'm there first of December. Uh, mm-hmm. Comedy Store in La Jolla is not sold out. The seventh, eighth, and ninth. We still got tickets. Spokane Comedy Club the fourteenth and fifteenth. Maybe even the sixteenth. The 29th, thirtieth, thirty first. In December, in West Palm Beach, tickets still available. Stress Factory in January. Tacoma Comedy Club in January. Helium Comedy Club in Portland in January. The Wilbur on the 3rd. Second show added. Pre-sale starts at noon this Wednesday on the 15th. Ends at 16th at midnight. Pre-sale code is Boston. And then I think we got uh, Comedy Zone in Charlotte. And then the Trocadero. And then I'm taking a break. Uh, Yay! Yep, and we're going to go have a catch right no, now. Yes, yes. Leanne. I'm going, uh, bye. No, 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 wait up. Leanne made a new website. Go check out burtburtburt.com and see if you like it. Uh, Leanne created it. She used Squarespace. Check it out. It's pretty badass. All the We've got new merch on there. We've got sweatshirts. Hurry up. That are fucking fantastic. We've got all the shirts. We've got posters from all the tour dates I've played in the past. Check out the posters. Uh-oh, it's getting dark. I'll and I have to go. Um, that's, that's it. That's it. That's, that's it. it. Okay. Today's guest is a fantastic stand-up comic. I've been a fan of his for a very long time. He is from the OG class of San Francisco back in the late 80s, early 90s, and that is the creative spot that that spawned alternative comedy. He wrote a book called He's Just Not That Into You, which was a massive bestseller, was on Oprah. He tells the whole story about how he got his own morning show, uh, daytime talk show, and talks about how he kind of spiraled out. This is a really fantastic conversation. He's battled with booze and drugs. He tells that story. And his wife's a fucking gangster. Uh, and uh, you're going to absolutely love this. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Greg Barrett. 
lot fancier than my setup. Where you do? Where do you do yours out of? In, in our in the bedroom of our house. Yeah. We have a we live up in a, we have like a big attic. We have a big bedroom. So like, wait, where are you living? I live right over on. Uh, you don't have to tell me we're recording. Right by the golf course. <laughs> I live over by the golf course. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, off Moore Park. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So we have a big bedroom, and then with a vaulted ceiling and all that. And so, like, there's a like a living room desk side, and then the bed, and it's almost like two rooms, sort of, in a way. But for some reason, it's just dead air in there. Really? Just quiet. Yeah. Oh, and we get so, so much background fucking noise in this thing. Yeah. It's just. Uh, I did it for a long time. I did it just by myself, but I was just fucking it up so bad. Like, I, one time I did an interview with Attell, and the chickens started laying eggs. <laughs> and so all you could hear was the chickens laying an egg. Just right. Mike's will screw you over. Mike's will fuck you over, like, when they're unidirectional or somebody's picking one up or you're too close to each other or whatever. You need a guy. Yeah. You we, need uh, somebody. I just told Leanne, I was, I'll tell the listeners, I have this joke I'm working on about my daughter. Um, my daughter is 13, and she wants distance. Uh, she just wants her space. She wants. Yep. To, she's independent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I've, I'm acting like I'm getting broken up with in college. Yes. And so, and yeah. So I said yeah. to my wife, I said, uh, she said, just give her her space. And the joke I said, the only part of the joke that worked was, so I just got to act like I'm just not that into her. <laughs> and my wife's like, excuse me. So then I was doing this act out of like, uh, oh, I didn't know you were coming to dinner tonight. Yeah, yeah, sure, sit down. I mean, I didn't know you were going to be here. <laughs> but that's. Uh, it's funny that like it turns that way with kids, right? I have two, uh, uh, oh yeah, there's the jet circling just in case things go wonky with yeah. North Korea. Oh, oh, uh, go ahead, sorry. Oh no, I, uh, my two daughters are, I have 12 and 15. And, um, 12 and 15? Yeah. yeah. So you're 15, you already went through that with your 15 year old. Yeah, kind of. They're, I mean, they're both, um, they're both pretty nice. They're both pretty cool. The 15 year old really is like, she's down for a hang. Yeah. She wants to like, she really likes hanging out, like. But the other one's like, "No, I'm good." What? Yeah, I said, "Let's go." I got the keys. Let's go. Who's going to the store with me? No, I'm not going. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh really? That's because I don't fucking ask everybody. Yeah, I had a meltdown about <laughs> this is, that. I, I, know. I had a fucking meltdown. And you're like, "Fuck, dude, they're fucking twelve. Let it go." Dude, I said, I said to Georgia, I called from the Rams game. This is what started. This. I called from the Rams game a couple weeks ago. And uh, they were all driving in from camping. It was a girls' weekend camping trip. And I go, she answers the phone, and I go, hey, what's up? She said, nothing, what are you doing? So I'm at the Rams game, we're all meeting at the Hayslips for dinner. And she was like, uh, this is the first I'm hearing of that. And I went, yeah, because I'm telling you. What do you mean the <laughs> fucking first I'm hearing of it? And she was parroting a bunch of her mom's statements. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, this is the first I'm hearing this. First I'm hearing this. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, because yeah. I'm telling you. I go, I'll meet you there. And she goes, Dad, I just have a lot on my plate tonight. Yeah. It's Sunday. I've been camping. And I was like, oh, my God, she's it, she's doing the breakup thing. And I started panicking. And then I, I said some stuff that I'm sure I regretted. And, and then... Here's the other shitty part about being married is around the same time, your wife does the same exact thing. Yeah, I, I just can't do Saturday. We've got a thing. we got to go lay. And then oh. I'm gonna, I was going to meet somebody. And then I just need some time alone. I'm like, who the fuck is... Does anyone talk to me anymore? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happened here? Yeah. Because when I was a kid, my dad was like the shit. And if my dad said we were doing something, fuck, we were all in, man. Yeah. My dad called all the shots. If I, I never once... Uh, I I had statements said to me like, "Don't you fucking cry, be a goddamn man," 
Like, I remember I almost cried one time. Mm -hmm. He was yelling at me. Yeah. And he was like, don't you fucking cry. Be a goddamn man. And I was like, I remember being like, I don't think this is super healthy, but... Either. That was just that generation's. That was just that generation's version of you. Okay, yeah, you doing okay? You check, just checking in. <laughs> I feel like it's the. Op- I feel like the thing about it now is that like it's it's two extremes. It's like when I was a kid, just like you know, I'm a little older than you. There was a lot of like, just go out. Why are you in here? Go outside. Yeah, just get out of here. Like you were just in the way. People didn't like kids, and now it's like this whole world revolves around their fucking like. Is everything okay? My well, mom never sat in okay. bed with me. No one asked me how I was doing. Yeah. You know, and I think my parents loved me. Like, I never felt, I didn't feel like I was having an unusual parenting experience. I mean, it was very like. Where did you grow up? San uh, San Francisco and Marin. Really? Yeah. I know you started there, but I didn't know that's where you grew up. Yeah, that's where I grew up. My dad was in television. He was the general manager of the NBC affiliate. Started as a cameraman, worked his way up. Really? Yeah. So your television was always in your blood. Yeah, TV was around always, yeah. But I was like, I got, as soon as I saw, as soon as I got an Aerosmith record, I'm like, I'm, that's all I care about. I don't care about anything else but music. That's all I like. Really? Yeah. My parents were into comedy too. They used to go see, they used to go to the Hungry Eye and, uh, Purple Onion. They used to have, you know, Phyllis Diller and Cosby and Newhart and, you know, you name it, man. Anybody from that time. They loved nightclub stuff that my dad liked jazz. So they were very, it was like, a, it was very madmen. They were like really that sort of era of parent. And Are they still alive? My, my dad is. My dad's still alive. He's uh, 83, lives on the top of Knob Hill. He's got a place, a penthouse apartment across the street from Grace Cathedral. Really? And he married, remarried uh, a couple of years ago. Only child? Uh, he was an only child. I have a sister, but my sister passed away two years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Cancer? Uh, no, it's your renal fa- failure. What? And yeah, yeah, kidneys. Oh, Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. Um, did that was that tough considering you partied so much and you feel like oh fuck that should have been me. She partied harder. Oh really? My sister partied harder. <laughs> My sister took it to another level. I had it together to stay in the game. Oh fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it came from my great, my, my mom's mom was a fucking disaster. My mom was not great and my sister didn't do it much better. Like it. Really? The bug is, yeah, and it's, and it went all through my mom's side of the family. My dad's side of the family is a little bit better, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, my mom's family was just like bummer drinking, like already, like already a bummer. Like they started at bummer. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, yeah, so I fucking, you know, I dodged a bullet. I said that to my therapist the other day. He said, what do you like about drinking? I said, when the buzz hit, hits, it feels like a first kiss. I said, my stomach drops out and I go, oh, I know her. Oh, I didn't know you were going to do that to me again. Yeah. He's yeah. like, it doesn't sound like it's a very dark place. I go, I very, I go, I very seldomly get dark. I get dark. Uh, my, my problem, uh, if I was to say I had a problem is, uh, is I have a, I can't, I, I get excited and I'll have these days that'll just show up out of nowhere where, like where it's like you're on vacation, you're camping, and everyone has a cocktail, and I just party all day and party all night, and then the next day I don't feel like running, you know, like, like those are my problems. But and I don't get angry, I don't get dark. I can, but yeah, yeah, it's a personal thing. I think people just either like, um, like for me, I'm like, look, things are just not good, I'm, and I'm not good, and I don't know why. But this is a the, here, what are the things I do a lot? I'll I drink. And, uh, and I, and I eat after I drink, but I mostly drink. So what if I took that out of the equation? What would that be like? And that was like, that was really, it was kind of like, I mean, I, there were, I mean, there were events and shit that happened because, you know, I drank, but 
it really was for me. It was like personal. It's like I didn't, I didn't judge it against anybody else's drinking or alcoholism or what they thought. It was alcoholism just you. Was. I was fucking miserable, dude. And I was like, this maybe this is the thing. And when I took that out of the equation, I was like, oh man, I can work. I can get things finished. You know, like I, I need all of my faculties just to be able to fucking spell my name. Like I really am not a genius. Way, your I, last name's hard to spell. Yeah, and it didn't change it. <laughs> didn't change it because I couldn't find a suit. Could not find a. I couldn't find a like a Dane Cook. Ugh. Or I have a buddy named Zane Holloway. I'm like, fuck, dude, that name's almost too good. Zane too good Holloway. Of a, Zane, he's a great guy. He's a comic. He's a really nice guy. But I'm like, that's a lot to live up to, bro. That yeah. name is challenging you every day to get out and be a fucking star. Brian Pusain. Pusain. <laughs> fucking Pusain. I came up with Pusain. Yeah? Yeah. What Pus- was his real name? No, and that is his name. But oh, I yeah. Say, I, uh, he was one of the guys oh, I started thought you said with. I came up with it as in he had I a different name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brian yeah. Dick Doc. Yeah, well, his name was Karen for a long time. <laughs> you came up with Brian, Zach, uh, not Zach, uh, Patton. Patton. Uh, yeah, me, uh, uh, Patton. Blaine. Uh, uh, yeah, Cho. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, everybody in 93, 94, 92, 93, 94, everybody was in San Francisco. You know, like people would come out for the comedy competition and then just stay. That was you the know? epic. That was the epic time of the San Francisco comedy yeah. competition. Yeah. So like Rhodes was there and Hedberg lived there. Merritt lived there for a while. And fucking when I started, Dana Carvey had just left and Dana and Robin had sort of just left. But like Jake Johansson, uh, Ellen had been there for a while. Paula Poundstone was still How around. How tight were you guys? The it- bunch of us that like me show, like whatever that, whatever that grouping that people sort of refer to as the alternative comedy scene, yeah. that group of people is incredibly tight at the time, you know, yeah. uh, back then. So like, but almost anybody, like a tell would be on the fringe of that because anytime somebody great came to town, 10 of us would go down, find them and drink them into the ground. Like, Oh, you're coming with us. Like we just loved comedy and we love the guys that we knew were. You know, maybe there because they couldn't get Rich Jenny that weekend or somebody who was like, you know what I mean? There was always yeah. like, they, the punchline and, and Cobbs were good at throwing young guys up. And that was you the know, scene, giving, punchline Cobbs. And they, pun- they had the, they had the purple onion. There was time. a, well, no, there was a, so there's punchline Cobbs. There was an improv. There was, um, um, there were punchlines in Walnut Creek and, um, Rooster Tea Feathers because the Barry is huge. So there was like 10, major like headlining clubs that you could work and then the Holy City Zoo and the other cafe and like these other littler rooms that people could work so you could work all the time did you feel uh like a like uh did you did you feel like um you could do what you wanted to do or did you feel like the parameters of what was happening was permeating what you should be doing does that make sense no because san francisco if you weren't doing something strange you weren't good like it was almost uh to the exclusion of of having a skill (laughs) set you know it was like the throwing off of everything the shackles of older comedians it's like if you wore a blazer if your jokes if you could do five minutes clean it was like yeah you know we really people really wanted to be like my dad's an interesting bug yeah, like, like if it sounded like you were trying to pitch a sitcom, it, it rang that. Yeah, right. That was the thing that turned me off when I moved to New York. And you'd see some guys in traditional rooms being like, "Oh, they're working." My, you know, my my girlfriend's dad is uh, is a really goofy guy, Vietnam vet. You know what I mean? You know the right, kind of, right, right, right. Yeah. Like laying it out there for you: first act, second act, third act. Here it is. You know, yeah. My, um, um, yeah. No, we were like. Um, I, I'm trying to think like the year I started the the two biggest things in comedy were Kennison and and uh and uh Dice were big. What you know like that. So I started in 89. 
Oh my god! Right? Oh my god! And yeah, I was yeah, in an yeah, improv yeah. group, and Cho was in the improv group, and she said, "I'd done, I'd gotten a degree from theater at the University of Oregon, and I was, I had no, until Margaret said you should do stand up, I really had never considered it. Um, I, uh, uh, I wanted to play in bands. I was still trying to make music work. I was acting a little bit." Um, and uh, Cho was like, "You should do stand up. You really should." Did you t- like? Uh, did you take yourself seriously at the time, or when I started? Yeah. Well, no. But here was the thing about it: when I did it, I was like, "Oh fuck, man, this is not like compared to how hard it is for me to do everything else." Yeah. It felt kind of like, like when I first got in the theater part in college and went, "Oh, these are my people. Like this is the kind of I this I'm a show business person. That's just just I don't know if it'll be." performing or not but i and then comedy came pretty performing came pretty easily jokes were always hard yeah. you know they always you know to be good to be clever to be interesting and you know i thought i had to write a lot at the beginning but that's not how i do it everyone know, I, has their own i think that's the one misconception is you hear someone like seinfeld say no uh a, a, a mason gets up every morning and starts building until like nine to five that's what we should write his comics nine to five and i'm like oh, you can't just beat inspiration into a into the ground like that sometimes it shows up and sometimes it's not there yeah i've never been able to make it work and whenever i write something i'm like that's not the way i talk and that's not an experience i actually had and it's going to feel like a lie and when something happens you know you become more observant you you realize how you can take a smaller event and make it into a bigger one um you know the guys that are you know there's some guys that do that that are amazing and can make a walk to the fridge this epic adventure right you know um and that's sort of like, you know, you and I aren't that dissimilar in that, like, we get up there and we have an event that we're going to share. There were, you know? there were there were a few guys that I was drawn to when I was young that I saw and I went, I went, yeah, that, okay. Like, that's, that makes sense for me. Like, I, like that, that gives me hope. It was you, Geraldo, Tom Rhodes. Yeah. Like, there oh, was yeah. all, it was all this very similar, like, uh, like you had a joke about, um, about, uh, I don't know, I, I, you're going to have to tell me what special you did this on but about the uh the concierge at the hotel uh cutting you off and saying oh my god that was from my that was from my very first that was like uh um uh that was either i i can't remember i think i did it twice to be honest with you i think i did it on a one-man show thing that i did on hbo called fantastic or it might have been on that guy from that thing but i talk about um um no no you know what it is what that story is a a, um, what's it called? The, the storytelling show, a Moth. Right? Is it? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, it's a story about Janine when I was dating Garofalo, and I was fucking, I was in love with her, and she she never was in love with me. I mean, we were we had been friends for a long time, and then I just did that thing where I'm like, you know, I mean, we were friends, and we sort of had a thing, and then I ruined it by wanting to make it official, uh, and yeah. you know, and she was happening like it was right when she was like, she'd just done. Um, reality bites and I uh, was making cats and dogs and I was in a band that was kind of failing and I was, you know, drinking. This is right before I quit drinking and, um, um, and she, and she left, went back to New York. Uh, she, she, she'd moved out from Saturday Night Live and then she went back and moved in with a guy and, uh, but they were living in a hotel and I, I kept calling her. <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing of like man i get drunk and i just pick up the phone and call her and go why you know yeah <laughs> and uh and the one time i called the guy at the desk was like uh first off he couldn't understand what i was saying i was so fucked up i had to spell her name and then he goes oh he goes hey man are you sure you want to make this call <laughs> and i was like no fuck and i hung up you know and like not that long after that i sobered up because i was like oh man what year was that so that was 96 yeah so i was down here i moved down here in 94 
everybody came down. So we like all those people were in San Francisco and Patton and Posehn came down here and got jobs on Mad TV right around the same time as Cross moved out from Boston because um, we were all close with those guys um, to uh, work on uh, the Ben Stiller show. Okay. So we all kind of rallied around the Ben Stiller show or like almost the almost the cancellation of the Ben Stiller show because then everyone was sort of around and those guys started working on Mr. Show and, you know, then we met, this, you know, the um, and then, you know, a lot of the guys, Tompkins came out from Pittsburgh, right? You still have Philadelphia where he's from. Like guys, were, yeah. everyone was just out here and um, we all kind of collected in this giant, you know, group of guys that still couldn't get sets at the improv. Really? You know, yeah. And then Beth Lapidus had her show, The Uncabaret, which she had just started. And my friend Laura Milligan had this sketch show um, that she used to do on Monday nights that was sort of like a, it was a fake celebrity poetry slam um, and called Tantrum. And uh, and that's where Tenacious D did their first songs and Stiller would come out and do sketches and Will Ferrell and a couple guys from, um, what were the, uh, he was in the Groundlings would come out and did this thing where they wore unitards and held up the Canadian flag. Like it was just weird shit. Um, what was the, what was it like? Did you feel, did you ever feel like, uh, did you ever feel like there were like, I don't know the right way to ask this question. But like, I remember when I, when I was like, maybe, maybe this is a question I'd say to me, but like one thing that always impressed me with the alternative scene was that there were so many original voices I would have when I did Surf Reality or Collective Unconscious and Lower East Side. Yeah, I always felt like I ended up trying to be like them as opposed to being myself because I was so young and impressionable. Did you ever feel that? Because you are totally. you are a traditional storyteller. Like you, when you tell stories, you have your own personality, your own style to it. But you are like a, a regular dude. You're not. You're n- right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying. Yes, I. Um. Um. I, we all wanted to work in comedy clubs. I think there was this idea that we didn't want to be in comedy. It's like not one of us didn't want to be a comedian. We just didn't want to be the same comedian. Uh, okay. And we didn't want to be the comedian that came before us, which I'm sure is true of any young group of people. Like, yeah. you know, um, um, part of the thing of, you know, aging in show business is you start to go, oh, there we go. See, now it's a whole new crew of people. Or oh. here comes this group of folks. You know, at the same time, you forget that, like, your career is long and expansive and it takes different shapes and different kinds of people like you over time for different reasons. There's an accrued sense of they know who you are that has nothing to do with what's hot or new or interesting or different. And people can like both of those things. Um, but at the time, comedy wasn't that big. I mean, fuck, it felt like when you started, like there's like seven comics. There's- Explain that to people listening, because that is true. There was no there was no comedy scene when you when when you got into it. The comedy scene was it had died in the 80s. And, yeah. and it was, it was literally, uh, it was, it was people that got into gold mining because they wanted to be archaeologists. Right. You know? Right. Right. It got, so it, it, it sort of died in the eighties, but it, here's what's interesting. It died in the eighties in the clubs, but it lived on television because of cable. So you have all these people like us, us doing TV sets on random comedy on the road, Caroline's comedy hour, VH1's, you know, comedy, you know, MTV's half hour comedy hour, like all these different, sort of cheapy thrown together comedy shows with young comics that they could just fucking make money off. You know, they just cheap programming. So you were doing TV sets, but you hadn't even fucking featured somewhere. Right. And so, um, uh, we were doing that, had that kind of TV exposure stuff. Um, 
but we weren't at that point TV started to thin out and having a booking used to be if you had an evening at the improv you could fucking sell out a club yeah. and then it was like well you gotta kind of get on Letterman or you gotta you know they kept raising the bar and um, and it just kept expanding from there and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger um, every year bigger more venues more people more ways to do comedy and eventually there's just so much that you know, like there's no one way to do it which I think is true of almost all art now it's like you can still be a guy that tells, do one-liners, and you can be a storyteller, and yeah. you can be whatever you would want to even call what Reggie Watts does, or any of those like those things where you go, well, it feels it could be in comedy, but it could also be in jazz, or it could also be... <laughs> I don't know what Reggie Watts does, but I watch it. <laughs> yeah, I do too, and I kind of love, like, I don't have to... We were so judgmental and so shitty, I think. I mean, Cross and I talked about this, David Cross and I talked about this one time, he goes, fuck, we didn't like you if you had a callback. Like, we were so judgy. Oh, yeah. And I think just because you were insecure, you didn't know, we, you know, it took a long time for us to sort of break through. You know, it didn't, you know, probably didn't feel like that to other people. We but didn't to even you. like you if you had a callback. Yeah. By the way, I just started using callbacks in my act they're recently. The greatest. I have a it's, fucking show. so oh my great God, when you greatest. have a callback. Fuck, and, it's the best. And it's, but it is, there was a distancing yourself from traditional stand. When I started, I started in 95. No, no, 97. I started 97, 98, roughly. And I remember just the perception. It was so, it was so ingrained, like, don't be a hack. It was like, and it, it was, it was said by a bunch of hacks at the time, but they were like, the alternative scenes where it's at. And, and you'd go to these alternative rooms. And I think at that time, things had started to morph in that there were more hacks in that room trying to recreate what you guys had started that, as opposed to doing something original. It's yes, and I also think it also became that thing of like, there's no there there, there's no anti you. You either are you or you fucking aren't, and you either have and you, most people have about a way to be funny, and then they put it into whatever situation they are. Man, it's not that fucking, <laughs> it, it's not that complicated. You either are fucking funny or you're not, man. I'm working on this new hour, and I was like, I think I'm telling the same joke five different times. Oh my god, I know my I. <laughs> I looked at, like, I, I did two specials that were, like, on, uh, um, uh, two con things are on Comedy Central, and they're probably five years apart. I'm like, oh my god. There's that version of that, there's that version of that, there's that one, and also not as funny, kind of funny, a little bit better, but the whole rest of this thing is not good enough to get anyone there. Like, yeah. and there's no flow, and, but, and also, like, you can do it with everybody, you know, you, I mean, if you listen to Patton's records, or listen to anybody, and you go, Sarah, if you just sat down and really picked at it for a little while, you could go, Okay, Sarah does three different kinds of jokes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, I'm saying Sarah Silverman. Um, uh, so yeah, eventually you just end up meeting you and that's it. And then you are who you are. And I remember sometimes people really wanted to make sure they knew that I wasn't as alternative as other. like, I had a guy go, you, you're not really alternative. And I was like, I don't know what you're saying. And I think what they were saying is you have more of a bro vibe and I don't like it. I'm, I like, you seem like you'd beat David Cross up and we like David Cross. And I'm like, and then I was like, why are you even friends with David Cross? I go, because we're friends. Yeah. I, yeah. You're kind of stuck in some idea of what this is all supposed to be. And I can't help you through it. That's, that is what I think. Um, I'm think I'm looking at in this is that you do, you did seem like the, the most sellable. Uh, all that group seems like they were hard sells to the industry, including Janine, who, by the way, I have to say, because everyone listening to this knows this already. I've had a huge crush on her since like, 91 or whenever I first saw her in the first thing, Reality Bites Back, which I guess was probably 94 or something. Dude, it's from that day to this day. She was a universal moment that 
I think everybody had at the same time, right? Oh. Like she, um, um, her, she had a half hour comedy hour set that, you know, Janine happened to write it right around. It's almost like she was the kid sister of Kurt Cobain, right? It was like, they were like, those were the two sort of, that was sort of the, the, the boy and girl version of what was happening in the world at the time, which is you, if you remember, like, it's so weird considering where we are now. It was a very lefty time. You know, it was a very like all the, all the, all the big bands, you know, all those, you know, all the grunge bands were very pro. They were pro hip hop. They all talked about hip hop all the time, how hip hop yeah. was better than rock. They talked about being gay. They talked about, you know, they all were down with the riot girl thing. Like they were all really like most of those dudes were pretty lefty and but still had a sense of like, oh, they're fucking this guy's fucked. You know, they're, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're kind of manly men that also fucking embraced everything. And that was a kind of a cool moment. And I think, you know, we just warrant had just been popular. So anything that felt like that, you know, um, but I, I remember the first time I saw Rhodes, he came into San Francisco and he had fucking hair down to his ass. And I was like, that fucking guy's great. I love yeah. the way that guy does it. And to be honest, I never loved, he came like a little bit after me and we got compared a lot, quite honestly. But Dane, I always liked, I understood what Dane was doing. It just was bigger than needed to be done for me. And I always thought, you don't have to be that, you bring it, you're there, man. You don't have to go that big with it. You know, yeah. it felt, but I also thought, I'm really not sure why I'm telling him what to do because he's in a stadium right now and he can't hear me, you know. Uh, uh, so, but I, I always appreciated that way of being on stage, being able to walk it, being the, you know, bring it, you know, like that's just, you know, and I think part of the alternative thing was like, well, that's not how people are in real life. It's like, well, I'm. well the, the difference in my opinion, when I came out here and I saw alternative comedy versus regular comedy was, I remember seeing Dane, I remember seeing Dane and I couldn't wrap my head around what I was seeing because I'd never seen anyone with the confidence that they would never bomb. Like, I remember going like, so wait, I remember saying to like Nick Sports and he never bombs. Like, this is every time he comes on, it's just the second he come on, it's just this, oh shit, it's happening. And yeah. then, and then I remember seeing you, uh, I, I want to say at the improv, but I guess not if you were. I, I look like I could bomb. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I remember being engaged and going, oh, I could hear him talk forever. And, and like, and it was very, it was a very different energy of like, and the same with Janine is like, I saw Janine and by the way, shout out to Janine. I love her to death, but eat a hot one in Montreal last year, two years ago. And I did too. We all ate hot ones. Oh, but let me tell you something. I, I've never enjoyed watching someone eat a hot one ever because she was so breaking down life within the moment that I was like, this is what is beautiful about what she does. Is, yeah. I was like, I was like, take one to the chest. We're all taking one to the chest. But when I do it, it'll be sad. It'll be sad, <laughs> no. and it'll be desperate. No. And you'll go, well, he's actually trying to get them back. No. <laughs> but but see, that's the thing. I don't think people really understand that all you're doing is having a human experience with somebody else. That's it. It's yeah. really very simple. Some people can communicate really well. Some people can't. Some people, you know, Janine was never a riot. She never had. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of the guys that used to just come in. You know, he worked with Regan a lot back then, Brian yeah. Regan and, um, 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 
uh, Schimmel in a different way. David um, Cross was always big and loud. I, fa- Cross, I found him to be. Cross was always like Cross, confident. And, but also he'd come out with a challenge. Yeah. He'd come out and go, let's imagine. I'm gonna, here's what I like to do. I like to imagine that Humphrey Bogart is my dentist. And then he'd just sit there on stage and imagine it without fucking saying a word. Just. <laughs> and he'd fucking take the joke to the point where people were fucking furious. And I'd be yeah. like, dude, I'm such a people pleaser. I'm nervous for you right now. And I always was like, how does he have the fucking balls to do that? Or he'd come yeah. out and do the whole thing in a different voice and then switch it. And there would be, you know, like some jokes, but almost like, and the comics would always love it. And crowds would be fucking angry. Um, and I was always, and Janine too, Janine only had Janine's act. She didn't have anywhere else to go. She didn't have a dick joke. She wasn't afraid. She hadn't set herself up with a bunch of things to get herself out of a mess. That that is such a fucking, that is the, that is such a brilliant point. I, I have, uh, five things, nine things at any given point that I'm not proud of that will get me out of a mess. I had a friend the other day text me and go, why would you? Tell that joke. It's really hacky. And I think uh, a bunch of other people have it. And I go, I'd get the fuck out of a mess. I wasn't not in a good spot. And he was like, yeah, but just go be in the bad spot. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I know. But my ego got involved and I didn't want to bomb. And he was like, just bomb. Don't just bomb. You know, I think that I think there's some truth in that. I mean, you have to you have to. I, I don't know. I don't think I, I. I used to watch Chris Rock go up and bomb. Yeah. All the time in New York, like you'd be in New York and he'd fucking pop in and do a set. And then three nights later, he'd be on TV and I would go, well, fuck, how did he, those are, those are hilarious jokes. He told them similar two nights ago. Cause he just went in and was like, that's what I got. Yeah. And I'm going to find out from the crowd if it's any good or where I should go with it. Right. And I always admired that. But also if, if there was a fucking riot out there and they needed somebody to, to calm somebody down, they'd get you or they'd get me. They wouldn't get Janine. Yeah. We just have a different way of communicating with people. We just are different people. So yeah. there's no reason for me. And I really did. I tried to like be intense or I tried not to take the mic out. And I remember that one time I was working with Rhodes and he was like, what are you leaving a mic in the sand for? I was like, I don't know, man. I'm just trying to like, and he's like, fucking take your cock out and rock. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, that's what you do, man. You're a prowler. You know, and he said that Rhodes way. And I was like, well, yeah. if Rhodes said I'm a prowler, you know? And I was like, right, I know, dude, but I'm trying to assimilate with these other people because quite honestly, I played sports a lot of my life and now I have these alternative friends and I love them and I kind of want to be like them, even though I'm really, I had different upbringing, different background, you know, different, different worldview, you know? Um, um, yeah. So it's like, it's, it, it was, um, um, but it was a fucking great time to do comedy. It, I, I'm, I, I think I started at a really great time for where, where comedy is right now. I think I started at a good time in that, in that like my sophomores were like Jim Norton, Pete Corielli, Bobby Kelly, all the New York scene. Like yeah. Colin Quinn was the juniors. Attell was yeah. the juniors. Um, Sarah was a junior. Yeah. Uh, Brewer. And I think, I feel like I'm really proud that I started in that place, but, uh, I'm jealous That's of so the kids. funny because Colin, when I came down here, Colin was out here. Yeah. And he and Janine were dating at that time where she was really, yeah, yeah. And he was part of the beginning of what that scene was here. It was like him and Dana Gould, Beth Lapidus was like 10 people and he was one of them. And Colin would fucking do great and he would eat a dick. Dude, he, he would go down hard. Did you see the special he did in his, uh, he did it in a Boston Bruins leather jacket? 
<laughs> oh, it is the. <laughs> I just feel uh, bad about that. The worst special you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's in. Yeah. I want to say it's like the South Beach Comedy Festival. Yeah, and it, he just is bombing at for a prolonged time, and it. And I, I was such a huge comic book fan, and then I saw this, and I was like, "Whoa! Why would they ever air this?" But man, he makes me laugh hard as shit. Yeah, and he's also like, it's all real, and it's um. It's just, it's him. And I think that's part of it. Part of the thing is, uh, and again, like with Janine, it's like, man, when it hits, it's meaningful. And when it doesn't, he's still that guy telling that story and people are still okay with him. They don't feel like, cause he, he doesn't look like he bombed. He doesn't look like he's doing the wrong thing. You know, right. when I bomb and I look like I, I mean, I look, I <laughs> fucking look like, fuck, you look like a, you know, I look like I did when I used to go play football, yeah. you know, and they finally put me in the game. I'd be like, oh, fuck. You know, like I just look panic stricken. Um, I mean, now, now that I've been around it for so long, I, it makes me laugh sometimes because I, I know that thing in my heart. Like my batting average is already high enough. If I never do well again, I did way much better than I ever expected to. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't matter as much. You know, you try to. Uh, but I sometimes I'm like, well, I'm just gonna learn from this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm gonna enjoy these silences and hear what my what my words sound like just by themselves, unhindered by laughter. Sometimes it's nice to go. It's to go, like, oh fuck, I'm in the thick of it. This is what this feels like. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it always makes me go home and go. Okay, reorganize. Yeah. Reorganize. Why are you doing this? Why is this still here? Get rid of this. Why are you hanging on to that? You know. Of course you didn't do well, and then you came out. You had no opener. You kept thinking that's not an opener. You know, there's little things I go, like, if I don't give myself a great opener, I fucking fight every time. And when I'm following, you know, sometimes the kids that are featuring now, I'll follow a guy and go, fuck, I didn't prepare to follow. And I don't have the same, you know, I had a period where I had a lot of people come out and see me that really knew me. And it's not quite like that anymore. So I got to hustle, you know, and and uh, and that's fun, man. But I got to do the work. You You've had a you've had. A really fascinating career because I think you've probably had more ups and downs than anyone I know. Like you've had more ups, and you've yeah. had, like like you've had ups that are like that are, I mean, literally like chin scratching ups where you're like, like I just told Leanne in, the, in there that you wrote the book. He's just not that into you, and right. she was the look her face was like what? Like that was a that was a bible for relationships, right? In like in in the Sex and the City age, you know what's so funny is that that the things where I've had success is when it wasn't my idea or I got out of the way and let something happen. Yeah, um, because Sex and, that book was not my idea. I didn't want to write a relationship book. It was something I genuinely said to somebody when I was working at Sex and the City. It was a girl that was seeing a guy who didn't want to have sex with her, and I was like, she's like, you think that's bad? And I was like, fuck yes. You know, um, um, uh, they've like been going out for a while and they, they'd never fucked. And I was like, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you, why are you still doing that? Like, you're a fucking, you're a TV writer. You're a woman in this field and you're on a fucking, what's the value here? Why have you devalued yourself? It's like my sister who just waits outside of prisons for guys to get out. Yeah. Uh, and I go, we grew up watching plays. Wouldn't she become that person? Yeah. You know, and I, so it became this sort of like thing that, like I like talking about, but I had no, I would never think in a million years to write a relationship book. It would have never occurred to me to go, you know, who needs my opinion right now is women. 
Uh, but you know, but I love them, but I know <laughs> probably you know. the majority of women in this country read that book. There's a lot of people read the book. I will say. Do you have an idea of how many people? Um, I don't know, four or five million copies or something like that. Fucking insane. It was a I mean, lot. It was a big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. And it was a surprise. And it was, a, and it was cool. But it was also strange because I put 15 years into my stand-up career. And in one afternoon, it wiped it. It just knocked it off the block because it was like... A, I remember a, I remember that book coming out. And then... And I was like... And I was like, oh, cool. Because I'd been a fan of yours before. I remember I remember seeing you walk across the street one time. And just been... And, like, and I was working... I think I had a TV show. But I saw you and I was like, what's up, Greg? And you were like, eh, and just kept walking. And I was like, I was like, ah, shit, I probably should have said I was a comic or something. And I was like, ah, who gives a fuck? But, um, oh, but it. then I saw that book came out and then I was like, and then it was like, just, it was, it seemed like the Hollywood machine got at your heels and started throwing you. You know, it's kind of a, it was an interesting time because like it, it, it followed the heels. So it just sort of happened, right? And Oprah, um, you know, the Oprah was the thing, right? I did one Oprah, one afternoon, and that was it. And she dedicated a whole hour to the book, and she didn't even want the other author on it, whose idea the book was, who was my, who was the Liz DiCillo, who was the writer at Sex and the City. Yeah. Um, and, and has since gone on to write movies, and she's super talented. But uh, Oprah just wanted me telling people, you know, fucking, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Get yeah. out of that. Like, that's what she wanted, because that's what those shows are, right? And so I did that for an hour one day, you know, that show. And then I, got, as soon as I got off, I was like, that fucking was, that I could tell. I'd be like, it'd be like hitting a grand slam and go, I hit a grand slam. And we all saw it, right? It happened. <laughs> like it fucking happened. Wait, who I've is, never wait, done wait, this wait, before. Break down, break down the moment because I love these moments of careers. Who's, who, who came to Oprah with you? Did you so know? they brought, so Amira came, so my wife came and Liz, they, they had Liz on the show, but they made, they put me up on the couch with Oprah. They put Liz in the front. And they lined up a bunch of girls that were going to ask me questions, and sometimes their boyfriends were with them. Um, and my, I think my manager, I think my manager, Julie James, came at the time. Um, um, and uh, we did a lot of prep. They fucking prep you really hardcore. And I was nervous as shit, because I was like, fuck, I've never given anyone advice that wasn't a friend. And now I'm going to do it on television. And, uh, but even from the beginning, like the thing that's really true is like, we turned the, we turned the first gal, you know, the first gal into our agent and she went home and broke up with her boyfriend, longtime boyfriend. And then when it went to the publishing house, two people got out of relationships there. And this is before it ever became a book. And I started thinking, fuck, people are going to, oh my God, I, I got nervous about it. Cause I'm like, there's going to be dudes that are going to get pissed about this. Yeah. Kinda. And I went to Australia to do stand up. Right before Oprah, I got asked to do some Australian MTV thing. It was me and the Flight of the Concords and Bill Burr and Todd Berry. And, and I just sort of knew Bill and I'd seen him like in clubs and I liked him. And he was, you know, young and he was pretty, <laughs> he was more, he was more, scre you know, he was more screamy and less, you know, like he was, he was figuring out who he was. What year is this? 2004. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, I saw him, I saw him do, I saw him do really well one night in a comedy club. He did pretty good. And then I saw him go on like, uh, what was that guy's name? The, uh, Daly, Carson Daly's thing. 
Remember Carson Daly yeah. had a show and they did stand up uh-huh. and he fucking went down hard, dude. Like that's one of the, like, I want to find all the ones <laughs> I saw and my first Conan, put them all together and just call fucking eating it, dude. Like you yeah. can hear the cables being moved. Like it's so quiet. And he went up and did this set and they always had like little kid crowds and then nobody really, Bill was just sort of like, whatever, man. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was like, oh man, that's tough. That's tough, man. And I didn't, you know, I didn't see what, what, how he sort of codified and became who he is. Like I, I felt it when I was hanging out with him. He was really funny and mean to me about the book. Why are you going to tell everybody? But why would you tell everybody? (laughs) He's going to, you're selling out, you know, with this whole thing. And I was like, look, dude, wouldn't you tell your sister she was dating an asshole? Like, you know, when he had this whole discussion about it and he was always super sweet to me. And, um, um, and then, it fucking happened. And it was like weird, dude. My mom died that summer. So my dad was pretty distraught, obviously. And then this thing happened. And it pulled us both right out of it. And I took him to New York with me. And we did Larry King. We did everything. They did a 2020 on us. There was um, Larry King and The View and all all three of the morning shows, man. Twice, some of them twice. Wow. Like it was just like everything. Thousands and thousands and thousands of radio interviews. Like it was just like this thing. The book sold out. Then there were people fighting for a book in the in a bookstore. Made the news, and then I was at a bookstore, and a woman was literally at the counter getting upset with somebody, and I gave her my copy of the book. You know, like it was like a, I was like I'm living in a movie version of my life. That's so strange. Um, um, and then the movie thing happened, and the reason it did is because they'd made a movie out of How to Lose a Guy, which is a was a stick figure impulse by joke book uh that was at like urban outfitters and they're like we can make a movie out of anything we just need a title and so they oh i see liz and i went around we pitched a film idea we went to everybody uh there's a bidding war we got a we got a, a deal from new line uh drew barrymore um um they I had her come produce it i knew and uh and I knew they weren't going to keep the script that we wrote, but we we sold them one anyway. Yeah. And then she came in and turned it into an ensemble comedy, which was fucking fine with me. Yeah. People were always like, um, you know, hey, did you like the movie? I was like, they fucking made a movie. Yeah. Like it's all it's all fucking prizes. Like it was all, you know. So it was it was wild, man. It was really really wild, but it was fast, really? and it changed things really really quickly. And then it almost seems like in that. And then I did this, and I uh, we sold the second book, and then I had a talk show, and then boom, it's over. So we the talk show the talk show was Oprah Harpo produced. No, they made an offer, and um, and then I didn't want to do a talk show at all. I just wanted to do something on Comedy Central. And uh, Comedy Central was like, well, what? you're kind of this guy. Like, everyone was like, Lou, we, we know you're hilarious, but what are you going to... You're a girl. You're a girly guy guy. <laughs> you're, you got to make girly guy you content. Got, it's, it's it's almost like... Uh, you know, I remember someone telling me one time, uh, um, so what if you ever want to quit drinking? I go, I'll just quit drinking. And they're like, well, yeah, but no, but that's your brand. Like, no one would come to see you. And I was like, people will still come see me. And they're like, well... I don't know. And then uh, when we started doing this Sober October thing, and agents and managers were like, no, you can't quit drinking. And I was like, hold on. I was like, wait, what have I done? Have I created something I don't like? Because like, I don't want to ever be told what to do. I get really, I have a real problem being told what to do. Yeah. And then I was like, no, 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 no. I'll quit drinking. And I quit drinking for the month. And it was completely fine. Like There was nothing that changed. But you do get those people in your head going, no, you're this guy now. You, it's... 
I think my biggest challenge, and I think for a lot of people, but for me, it's maintaining a sense of self in almost everything that you do and go, look, I hear you. And I think probably together, collectively, you think you're right, but I'm right. Yeah. I know me. I can feel it in my bones. And I know this is, a, and for a long time, I, I said no, no, no to all the talk show stuff. And um, the reason we didn't go with Oprah was there were these clauses about when I could do stand up and when I couldn't do stand up. And just like you, I'm like, well, you know, because she's, they own you and they want to make sure you're not ruining her brand. And then I'm like, well, I'm not her brand. And yeah. so, but I, at the bottom of my heart, I didn't want a fucking talk show. I don't watch daytime talk shows and I didn't even love nighttime ones other than to be on them. Yeah. I never felt like I needed to. I was like, I don't, that to me isn't making content. Like I, I'd rather go back to school and learn how to direct and be David Fincher. Like I'd rather do something where I feel like I'm there to talk about content as opposed to talking to people about content as content. I just never thought, I think the guys that do it are great, but I like, like I like that. Um, Colbert's political. I like when they have a point of view because I go, okay, at least you're being you. Yeah. You know, I don't need you to fucking just be a host. I watched you know? your talk show. Oh my God, that was funny. You're the, you're the reason, uh, you're the, I believe you're the single handedly the reason that, uh, vests came into fashion. <laughs> I, that might have happened at the same time. No, I, you, I've never seen a guy in a vest before. And I was like, I was like, hilarious. Whoa. I was like, that's a fucking cool look. And that's then I started hilarious. seeing vests. Like, I remember Adam Richman from Man vs. Food wore a vest. And I was like, oh, fucking vest, huh? And I was like, but I, you have to be able to tuck your that's shirt right. in if you wear a vest. Right. And I'm not a tuck your shirt in guy. And they're, t- I mean, they, yeah, they're specific. And, um, they were, that's a funny fight because I wanted to just wear a suit and cut my hair. And they were like, no, 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 no. And I, I, if you never saw my talk show, if you just imagine Steve from Stranger Things, that haircut, but on, <laughs> me and it's all blondie i look like when i was on oprah i was heavy so i i I used to say uh people would flip it on and go why is the dude on the from the offspring giving relationship advice (laughs) from the offspring (laughs) um um but um yeah so it had a particular look and um somebody showed a clip of it at something i was at the other night and i i had I, i i actually went it's funny you need a little distance sometimes from things. Right. And so when it ended and it was a really hard experience and, uh, when How long it ended, did you do it? I did it for, I mean, we only filmed for four months, but I shot 133 episodes or something, Holy shit. right? Like we banged it out and I learned a lot and I really loved the day to day. I love yeah. the work. I love working like that. Yeah. I would bet you'd love the day to day. I love the crew. I loved going in the fucking director's booth. I loved everybody else. The actual show. I was like, yeah. I couldn't quite figure out what I should or shouldn't be doing. I couldn't figure out what it was until I finally got a doctor on there to be on there with me. And then I was like, okay, so you can handle the heavy shit because I'm handling shit I don't want to deal with. And it's it's only a matter of weeks before you're doing a makeover. So it's yeah, they're tough, man. They're really really tough. Yeah, I I I would like um, I would like I would like the day in and day out of it. I'd love that. I, I, yeah, well, you I, work that, hard. The regularity of it, I would enjoy. Um, the, it's so silly. The things that I go, oh, you know what I would like is uh, waking up early in the morning, going, um, I'm going to be on TV today. Maybe I should run, go for a jog, and let's get, let's go for, let's find a gym that we can go to yeah. for hot yoga, and then get to work, and then maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll buy a motorcycle. Like the things that I go, oh, let's live here, right? Um, yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to the road where I feel like I'm always disconnected from everything. 
Right. And then you come back here and you're like, how am I still? I'm a little bit disconnected here, too. It's a little. Yeah. How am I supposed to connect into a house when I'm here just here two days, three days? Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there's a point like where I'm at now where you're like, I sure could get out of this house a little bit more. No. Sure what was could. happening with your marriage during this time? The marriage was great up until after. I think things got squirrely for me because I struggle with some mental health issue stuff and I, and I didn't know it. And I had gotten to the point where you know, people were seeking me out for advice and not that I thought I was great, but I was like, fuck, I got to be able to figure this shit out. I, I, if I can figure out other people's relationships, certainly I can figure out the three or four voices in my head, the head that are struggling and fighting each other. Like, you know, I really thought I could get a handle on what was going on and I just didn't talk about it until it was, I started to have, I had a nervous breakdown, you know, on the road. Wait, um, tell me about that. If you don't mind. No, it was good. It was, uh, I talk about it all the time. I, I was, um, so show gets canceled in 96 and I go on the road and from 2007 to about 2000, almost 11, I, fucking stayed out there man um because that's all there was so you canceled in 2006 yeah okay okay yeah well they yeah they yeah they shot yeah, yeah, it yeah, they, yeah, yeah. you knew they weren't coming back so okay it ran from 2006 to 2007 yeah um and what was really interesting was uh um it was big in the black community which i'd never had a fan base there and then all of a sudden oh. i was like man fuck do i oh my god like walking through airports and being in cities like atlanta and detroit and shit and guys coming up man i'd be at the fucking car wash and some dude and like you know just a big ass dude in a fucking escalade and the whole deal would like well what's up mr greg oh shit what's up motherfucker like they're just these guys like i'm not kidding i was in toronto and a guy comes up because can i take a picture man i love you my me my mom's loves your show i love your show can take a photo i was like yeah put my arm around this guy and he's got like tattoos and i was like uh i said what do you do and uh, he goes uh oh i'm a musician oh i go hey that's cool man uh i go do i would i any uh, what you know what's your name he goes nas and i was like oh and i don't know i just didn't know <laughs> yeah you know and um i was like fuck he likes this show like he was like a shy like that's right? so fascinating and that, i was like that that's and, what appealed to and he and he was he had the like you would when you see somebody that you love, right? Yeah. He had the giddy, like, oh shit, oh man, like he was super sweet and nice and, uh, and he was really like, you know, if you don't mind. And so the way he behaved, I was like, well, he mustn't, I mean, I just, he didn't, he didn't seem like somebody who was even a peer. Yeah. I mean, he, to me, he's above a peer, but he really was just gracious and sweet. Uh, and, uh, you know, he didn't want to bother me. Um, and so it was kind of funny to me. And then I went, I got in my car and he was doing press for an album that he had out that time. That's just the N word. And that's what it was called. And that was big controversy about the title. I remember that about that album. His dad was on it with him. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, so, and, and that sort of like, I remember when I had the talk show, they were like, look, we had all these memos about how to behave and words they wanted me to use. It was so racist. And I was like, Look, people are either going to like me or they're not. They're not going to like me because I try and assimilate with these horrible. What do you? This is insane. They took photos of me and they photoshot black press, <laughs> like magazine ads with. They put me in a restaurant, and then they photoshop black people in the restaurant. They're like, yeah, oh, he, they like him. They obviously did their demographics. What kind of words do they like, want you to use and not use? Badonk, badonk was on the top of the list. To not use it or use it. Use it. Oh, get Badonkadonk on there. And they were like, you know, don't talk about computers. Black people don't have computers. Oh, my 
God. It was really, and I remember saying, because I had a lot of fights and I walked out at one point. I made them fire the executive producer and, and I said, look, you know, all I have is my integrity. You know, and I, if you sit your badonkadonk down in front of a piece of paper or a, or a piece of, not your computer, you'd never the, put your badonkadonk. <laughs> it was so crazy. It was so weird. And I never kind of understood, like, I, I just, um, and obviously they'd done research when the demo was like, a lot of black folks watch daytime television. That was just, that was it. Yeah, they yes. were accurate and they were trying to get in front of the wave, but right. you can't, what, you can't what, catch a wave surfing if you're too far in front of it, it breaks on top of you. And what they realized, like, I never, um, you know, when you, I mean, this is what it is in this world, you know, when you're white and you're in the, and you're in white culture and you're, that's where you end up a lot and that's who you end up in front of. And, um, you know, we'd go over and perform in Oakland when I was a kid and, you know, when I lived over there and there's a little bit more diversity in San Francisco, but it's still pretty white, pretty homogenous. LA is pretty white. It doesn't really, you know, it, 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 it's different now, but it wasn't when I came down here. Um, and so you just don't know who crosses over and who does, right? Um, but I would have, you know, I crossed over very nice. People were just super cool to me. It's all so, the time. it's so not predictable. Not predictable. It's, you're not a predictable crossover. No, the only thing it made me feel like was I was like, maybe authenticity, like it just. I think real respect's real. Yeah, right. And I felt like, oh man, that's a shame that didn't continue. Yeah. You know, shame that it didn't like, that I couldn't, ex never got to explore where that could have gone just in the world, you know, cause, yeah. um, um, you know, everybody thinks they know what other people want and they're usually dead wrong. You know, oh, yeah. you know, and look, I don't, I don't envy people in positions of power having to make big decisions that their whole careers depend on. But, um, your gut usually will tell you, you know, that's not going to work. Oh, I was in a, I was in a, I was in a meeting at, uh, when we were casting for travel channel and they were like, and they were like, we should take this Asian couple. We don't have enough Asian couples. And I was like, yeah, but they're really bad for television. And they're like, it doesn't matter. They're Asian. And I said, well, no, they're just not, their personalities aren't there. They didn't really talk much. And they're like, doesn't matter. They're, they're Asian. I go, well, yeah, but this white couple was very talkative, really kind of like cartoonish in their, in their enjoyment for things. And they're like, Asians are better than whites. Okay. Enough said. We're taking the Asians. And I was like, hold on. You're going to choose someone based on their skin color as opposed to their talent level or opposed to their, and they're like, yeah, we are. We're taking Asians. <laughs> it's, you know, and it, it, um, I mean, look, I mean, in the last fucking, you know, in the last year, the world's changed just moment by moment by moment. Yeah. I mean, you, it is, this will be the time people go, man, you put your phone down and you fucking spend an hour just talking to people and then you pick that phone back up and now the world's a whole other shape, right? Um, and it is like, you start to think about like, I came, I made a record called Uncool and I got a development deal for it four times. And, uh, three different now, two, I mean, uh, three times at NBC and once at CBS. Same record, same material about being too old to rock. This is all before the thing. Nobody once ever said, Oh, I wonder what night we would put him on. We don't have another white show. The opportunities afforded to white people were just like, it never even occurred to me that like they'd get one black kid a year would get or two black kids a year would get a deal at wherever, you know, and then they'd have to figure out where they were going to put them. Yeah. Right. And now you go back and you think about that and you go, Oh my God, I was there, but it just, you know, it, it's hard to look up from it while you're doing it because you're in it and you're not yeah. thinking about the massive amount of opportunity that you get. Like I got more opportunities than 
you know, than most people I'll ever get. You know, I'm very, oh. very lucky. I said on stage the other day, we were, I have a joke about uh, going to this uh, basketball camp that was predominantly black. And I said, you could, you know, go there if you're really talented they, and it's got you for high school or you, if you had white privilege, your dad could pay $5,000 and you could go. And I said, I, de- I go, not all white people have white privilege, but I've definitely had it my entire life and I don't ever want it taken away because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for it. Like I am a product of white privilege like wholeheartedly a product of white privilege it's a wild it's a it's like um um yeah it's fucking the lotto you know you're fucking you you know you're just a collection of cells and you show up somewhere and you're like wow man this is what are the odds dude you know I, so it's really like to some days you know i start to when i get you know i feel sorry for myself or i got problems or i'm doing that i'm like dude 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 dude, dude. even now your failure even if I've bottomed out, I'm bottoming out in a safer place than most people will ever bottom out around people who will look out after me. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I, that just is the way it is. Not that I, and also not that I didn't earn certain things in life or like, you know, you have to be able to walk through doors when you get through them. Right. Yeah. But, um, it was certainly a lot easier for me to get to those doors, you know, right now at 54 being white and old, some of those doors are shutting pretty quickly. Um, but I kind of think, like if you have content that's interesting, if you have a point of view that's interesting, people are always open to oh, it. Oh, hell yeah. Always open to I it. I say there's no black uh, human being in this planet that could ever have been they would the world would never give them the opportunities i've been gotten in that i just partied my dick off in college for six and a half years and rolling stone magazine discovered me and called me the number one party animal country they wouldn't that would have never happened in 1997 for any 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 black kid my age and then you go to new york and then will smith discovers you and then you there's just it's just too lucky i'm too lucky right Right, right. And part of it, and part of it is luck, and part of it is just what your fucking thing was meant to be. Yeah. A lot of times you go, look, man, I didn't invent any of this. I'm just doing the work and showing up, and I can't judge it while I'm doing it either, and I can't apologize. I for try it. my hardest, but, but right. I, I'm, I'm well aware of the amount of, I am the luckiest guy you'll ever fucking meet. Let's go back to your, your mental breakdown. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like so, I've had a few I'm in New York, so I'm in New York, I'm in New York, and, um, it's 2009, and the talk show's been over for, uh, I'm hustling really hard, and the movie's coming out, so I start doing a lot of press. And now I'm resentful of the thing that, you know, gave me a life because it's too much and I can't escape it. And I can't get the people that are coming out to see me do stand up are mostly women. They come out one time, they have a good time, they get their book signed and they never come back. So while it looks like I'm doing super well, I know it's not coming back. And I keep calling my managers and saying, you got to lower my ticket prices so everybody can come. What were your ticket prices at the time? Fuck. I mean, 35, 35, 35 45, sometimes yeah. it depends. Um, I think they got as high as 50, you know, I was having huge guarantees, you know, but it was, and it, and the idea is, and if you're a young comic listening to this or anybody that like the idea is always going to be strike while the iron is hot. Mm-hmm. And if you do, the iron will then also go off. Mm-hmm. If you're smart and go, what's the, cause everybody wants to come, but, if you make it so some only some people can, the fucking everybody will go, fuck you, I'll move on to something else. And those are the people who come back, the people that can afford to come back more than once, right? You know, you're not, it's hard to just turn into Springsteen or Oprah. So if I'd have made my tickets, you know, or done an extra show here and there, or if I had had the kind oh, of like... That. Um, They're trying to add a show in Tampa, and I just said no. and I'm, and I'm And I thought to myself... 
do I am am I shooting myself in the foot by not doing an extra show because I do feel like what you just said. I've always added shows. Whenever they want to add shows, I go add the show. But also don't look, you know, I put, I made myself, so I did what they did and I ran and I ran and I ran and I ran and then I squeezed everything out of the tube and had a nervous breakdown and fucking messed my whole fucking family up. So, okay. So let's go back to the nervous breakdown. So anyway, so anyway, so <laughs> I, I did a bunch of press. I'd been on the view again and it was for the movie. It was coming out and I was, uh, in, uh, at Caroline's on a Thursday night <clears throat> and, um, uh, it was a pretty full house, but it was again many women and bachelor parties became sort of a thing for me, uh, as it does. And uh, there was a bachelor party down in the front row, and they just would not fucking pay attention. And this one, the one girl in particular, uh, the bride was fine; she actually was cool, but sitting sort of at the head of the table towards the back. But the girl right up against the stage just would not fucking stop talking and on her phone and like just you know that thing where. And if you've ever been in a comedy club and kind of like, you know, they fuck up for one table and it sort of spreads, right? And I, and especially if it's up front, you can't get any laughs. It doesn't spread out. So yeah. it was just, and it was 20 years to the actual day that I'd started doing stand up and I was going down fucking hard. And I tried to deal with it at one point. I'm like, um, I said to the girl, I go, do you, are you, have you read my books? And she said, uh, yes. And I said, have you read my books? Um, shut the fuck up so the rest of us can enjoy our evening. Cause that's a good one. Nothing. Just gets fucking nothing. I go to the other side of the stage where there's people that are like, they're not really laughing, but they're high and they're like staring in the right direction. So I would say, and I do this bit about magic that I do that's big. It's fucking huge. I talk about, um, how, I love magic. I'm easily fooled. I mean, I'm really like, I'm a, such a mark. I'm like, you fucking pull a quarter out of my ear. I'll have you. I'm like, you're a fucking wizard. Do it again. Like, I still don't know how it's done. Um, but I don't like magicians. I fucking hate them. And I talked about, it was when David Blaine was a, uh, and, um, what's it, Chris, uh, Angel. Angel. I did this whole thing about how their thing is a fucking come on and it's a little bit rapish. And, and also like, they don't act like they're magical. You know, if you're magical, you actually wouldn't have to put on a fucking show. <laughs> like you would have to wear a fucking shitty like a silver vest like what are you dressed why are you wearing high tops with your suit I don't yeah. get you and uh um and I go and I talk about seeing Chris Angel do this thing on his show where he was in public just pulling birds out of people's purses I was like it was really actually a pretty great trick because you were with him the whole time you didn't he didn't where the fuck were the birds coming from? Yeah. And I go, but he then he would, but he was doing it like as a come on. He was always picking women and he would got kind of close to the girls. And even when there was a guy there, he wouldn't even acknowledge him. And I really, you know, and I go, and that's not the way you would act if you were magical. And then I fucking show people how I would act if I was magical. And I go into the audience and I go up to a woman. And I ask if I can see her in her purse and I pretend I'm Chris Angel. And I go, but if I was me, I go, this is, and then I pull a bird out of her purse and I go, fuck. I can make birds. Why? Like if you were truly <laughs> yeah, mad, yeah, you'd be yeah, fucked yeah. up by it. Whole thing. It's a shouting bit. It's a whole commitment. It gets fucking nothing. And the girl in the front row goes, boo. And she gives me a thumbs down. And I fucking snapped. And I quietly walked over to her and really close in her face. I just went, fuck you. Fuck you. I go, this is the, I've been doing this for 20 years. This is the worst set I've ever had. I go, I'll recover, but these people should have burned their money in the fucking parking lot. You are selfish. You are fucking mean. You have a black heart, and I fucking hate you. So it goes quiet. 
And then she starts crying. She bursts into tears, literally like bursts into tears. Oh. I don't have anything. I had no plan. Right? <laughs> this is a true story. Every word of this is true. So I'm just standing there. She's crying. She starts talking about the book and she pulls the book out of the purse and she starts talking about how she had been in a breakup and she thought we were going to talk oh about this. Oh my God. And the only thing I have going for me is she has this really ugly, I mean, she talks like this. She's just, she was actually kind of cute, but she really, her voice was just awful. Yeah. And she kept, like she started snorting. And so she just sounds unempathetic. It's the only thing I get going for me. And, uh, and uh, she goes, I'm a. She said, she sort of said like something. Where she goes, I'm alone. And she fucking held the book up. <laughs> and a guy stands up in the back of the room and goes, No wonder nobody will fuck you. <laughs> and the whole place goes nuts. And then another guy goes, Hey, I'll fuck her. <laughs> and they fucking, they just fucking that just destroys. And I put my the mic down. And I fucking went off stage. I called my manager. It was still fucking seven o'clock. I cancel the rest of the tour. Cancel it. Got to cancel it. I can't do this anymore. I can't answer any more questions about that fucking book. I can't be a prisoner of this thing. There's no other reason why they should, what they should be here because of the book. Yeah. I got nothing. I don't have fucking relationship humor. I don't, I never did it. I don't like it. I don't like that kind so of So the comedy. whole time they're sitting there waiting for you to go, he's uh, like for you to go dot, 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 dot. He's just not that into you. Right. It never happened. I yeah. never, never, I could, there was no natural way for that to happen. It was, and also people think they want that, but when you start talking about that stuff, people get super sad. Yeah. They really do. Like relationship stuff is tough and, and, uh, people come there and they're in shitty marriages and you talk about a shitty marriage and they're like, I don't want to laugh at this man. I just want to go. I just want out. You know, like it's real yeah. relationship stuff is, is, is funny if that's what you're there for. Liz and I, when the book first came out, Liz and I did a tour. We did like a book tour and then we started doing theaters and we would go up. We'd run a tape of all the cool shit that happened to us. We'd come out. I sort of do stand up and tell the story of how the book came about. Liz would talk for a little bit. Then we would take questions and we sold that two nights in Montreal and it was fucking amazing. Yeah. And that's why I got the talk show. Cause I was really good at making it funny for people who'd come to talk about that. Yeah. But they didn't come to talk about that, but they expect you to talk about that. It was just was, it didn't work. I couldn't, I think now I would say I'm going to do two nights of stand up and, and two afternoon shows where we'll actually, just be like a relationship seminar. Yeah, that would be interesting. Like I would have made yeah. it into a thing, but that time has passed. But if I had, and there was no internet really, you know, it was yeah, very. That was, it was, early the internet days. wasn't what that was. That was like just around. No, that was probably just when MySpace was taking off. Yeah, MySpace was sort of happening, um, and I had this really weird. This is another weird thing I did. Cole, I think I was the eighth guest on Colbert, right? Yeah. And he said, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? And I said, I don't know. I said, I, I think it's going to be odd anyway, because we're talking about the book. And he said, why don't I talk to you in the first segment? The second segment will take calls. And I said, oh, my God, that'd be hilarious. Why don't you start giving dating advice? And I'll be like, what are you doing, dude? And we'll have and we like we worked up this whole fake fight thing. So. He starts taking calls, and I, I'm like, what the fuck? That's first off, I say, I say he's just not that into you. I'm yeah. the one that says it. Yeah. And we do this whole thing, and at one point, I slam my hands down, I push back from the thing, and we fucking. And he was like, oh, that was so great, and we both like that. And the next day, it aired, or whenever it aired, maybe it aired, I can't remember how it worked, but it aired, and I was getting on an airplane, and that guy goes, "You're a, what a dick, dude." He was fucking kidding with you. I was like, what? 
Colbert? Yeah. He was kidding. I go, dude, those weren't real calls. Did you think that was real? He goes, what? I go, those are fake. There's no call in to fucking Stephen Colbert. It's a yeah. tape TV show. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, that was a joke. People thought it was a real fight. And then they pick sides. So people would come up and say, oh. oh, man, Colbert is a dick, man. Or they would say like, and it was so heartbreaking because I was so excited to have done something in comedy with somebody who was like, you know. That fucking sucks that when you get into your own home, people think you're a stranger. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyone ever put it that way? Yeah, it was really tough. And somebody wrote me this nasty thing on, on Facebook or my MySpace. This guy, he had dedicated his whole page to hating me somehow and he'd written this thing about oh. me like that and i wrote him back i just simply wrote back and said there weren't real calls dude and uh and he said something about bill hicks you know like something that you're not with no bill hicks and i said first off motherfucker i work with bill hicks a few times and let me tell you something he wasn't always great you know yeah i go context is everything and uh and he wrote me back and said i may have overshot I'm really sorry, which I, that never happens in the internet. <laughs> yeah, right. And then we had this sort of dialogue back and forth about Bill Hicks and that kind of thing. He goes, maybe I should go see your comedy. I don't really even know what you do. And I was like, I that, it, yeah. what happened was you were drawing the, uh, the ire. Am I saying that right? Drawing the ire out of who are the tiki torches? Who are the progressive right? Right now, those guys that feel like they've been misrepresented, that anyone that's trying to help a female get forward in her life or, or live a full life is holding them back. I mean, I just recently got defined as a misogynist by my wife. And like, and I was like, I'm not a misogynist. She's like, you definitely are. And I was like, no, I'm super progressive. And she's like, not at all. But, and I was like, oh, I never realized it. So if, if me, who I definitely think I'm not misogynistic, right. If I can get painted with that brush, those guys are genuine misogynists. Well, totally. And the other thing is you sort of like, and also there's that comedy. People really like to have the definition and they don't like it if you're like, it doesn't make sense to them. If like, you know, you come down here and I remember one of the first times I was on stage here in like Largo, I, I fucking, for some reason, for no, not, for no reason, I ripped fucking Matchbox 20 apart. I just, I don't know. They, I, they were just in my ire and I made some shitty offhanded joke about how bad they were something, you know, um, um, how they look like they were, I go, who wants to see a band? It looks like they're caught up on their credit. Like, I don't want to see guys that pay their bills. <laughs> and, uh, and later on, and then, Oh, what a great fucking line. And a week later, I fucking met matchbox 20 because moon started dating Paul, the drummer. She ended up really married him. But, uh, but Rob Thomas goes, man, we fucking watch your video on the bus all the time, dude. You're hilarious. And I went, Oh my God. And then we start, and then he was pretty interesting. And then you go, man, you just don't know anybody. You don't like when you see weird friendships in show business and you're like, how's a guy from the sex pistols friends with weird Al Yankovic? And it's like, yeah. you know, people aren't their art, but for people who define themselves by your art, they need you to be because they need that sense of like, no, man, I'm in this club. How you can't be in that club. We, these are the things you say. It's like, I know, but I got older and I don't, I met that guy and I don't really hate him and I never really hated him. I just needed to draw, I needed to draw a line in the sand for me too. So you would, so somebody would come see me because yeah. you can't be everything to everyone. It was, it's so funny, uh, to go back to the David Cross thing is I had bumped into him a couple of times. He's not the sweetest guy in the world. If you don't know him, <laughs> can I tell you this? Yeah. So I live with him and I'm like, you know, you, there's another thing you get older and you're like, Oh, some people are on the spectrum. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And in our world, and it comes yeah. off as like rude or egotistical or they're eccentric and they really don't know how to talk to you. They don't know when they don't yeah. follow the cues, but they know a few tricks that they've done that they keep doing. Be David, people would say to me all the time, I go, I live with him. He doesn't even know he's hurt your feelings. He'll say, like he'll say, <laughs> so I'll go, he's a fucking asshole. I'm like, oh, he was just asking to see if you want to come with us. He wants to take, you know, Dave's always like, let's take mushrooms. Like, it's fucking Wednesday, dude. Yeah. You know, but he would always be, he never thought, he, I didn't, he'd I be never rude was, to you and not think that you would dislike him. I, yeah, I, he, I don't think, I, I don't, he wasn't outright rude to me at all. By any stretch of means, was he like, hey man, go fuck yourself. He was just, it was, you know, introduction is just awkward and it's just awkward and then and then yeah. when i saw that whole thing come out that he was racist i was like no 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 that guy's definitely not racist and i was like listen i'm not i'm not team david by any stretch of the means like i'm a fan of his across the board i love what he does i love his stand-up but i was like i could i could definitely say he's had some awkward run-ins but he is not a racist and that bothered me so much that people would think that david cross is racist when i was like i was like that guy is the he's he is the definition of what stands against racism. He the what's interesting about him is like it, if that went down the way she said it did. And I don't think it went down that way. It, but uh, but it also like I'm, I I I knew him for a long time like there was I remember thinking she was a comedian, right? Yeah. And I you do that thing where you go, "Oh, we're around each other. We're all around yeah. each other." This is our. She was a comedian. Like, uh, she. I think she's an actress. But it's like a safe space. Yeah. You know. I've said you know, horrible oh, I can shit say, to comedians. Yeah, yeah, and especially to each other. I mean, if I can think of some of the, the first things people said to me that were like, well, I think uh, when Neil Brennan said to me, he goes, "Oh, I know you. You're. I remember you when you and Patton thought it was funny to just talk about bands and pretend that was comedy, and you ruined it. And I was like. <laughs> What? Wait, what are you saying? Kevin was really, Brennan's the... Yeah. By the way, Kevin Brennan... I mean, not uh, Kevin, like, uh, uh, Neil. Neil, Neil. Kevin I went on the road with. He was also mean, but uh, but they were both... <laughs> They're both, yeah, But yeah. that was their thing, and he was just like, that's a way like you throw a punch at somebody, and I think David probably was being the antithesis of what he thought she'd expect and being ridiculous yeah. and thinking she'd be funny Dude, about I, it. I went to, I not I didn't go to the map room, but like personally with friends who were like, did you hear about that? I was like, dude, the guys, I'm not as like, I'm not his best friend, but I'll tell you right now, he is not racist. And, and he falls into the same category as Neil and as Kevin as like, yeah, I don't think anyone's going to go out and say Kevin Brennan's the nicest guy to get him introduced to. No. I love Kevin Brennan. I love David Cross. But, like, they're not, like, the most friendly. No, man. A lot of those guys, you know, Odenkirk has weird rhythms, you know, and then sometimes he's incredibly sweet. And sometimes I remember, well, fuck, I came home one day and I walked in my house. He was in my house and I went all, I went all the way upstairs to my room and I came back down. And I go, hey, I live here. You don't. When I come in, say hi. I yeah. live here. Yeah. You know, and I think he jokingly like was, oh, yeah, yeah. Like he just, you realize like not everyone's like you or has your yeah. your things. And, you know, that you bothered me so much, though, when they called him racist. Because I was like, he's like from being around comics who probably are racist and make racial jokes and and find that funny and don't find the uh, the kid gloves and the nuance of it. Someone like David is offended by that. And I, and, and, and genuinely and integrally, he's not. Like he'll laugh at his, as any good joke, but he's not. And I was really, but really fucking bothered me. I was, uh, that was one of the one uh, witch hunts that I, I witnessed it, online that fucking it, rubbed me. It the also, wrong did, way. yeah, it felt like this tempest in a teapot. Like, look, anybody, you know, the 
everybody has experiences and you should be able to talk about them and but why not talk about it with david first or talk about your friend who had the party or talk about talk about it to people who like the putting it out online and maybe that's the way and i'm not talking i'm, I'm talking about the smaller affair stuff i'm talking about the stuff where you think man you're also i understand what you're doing but there's a bigger train leaving the station right now and and it's real and it's really really damaging and there yeah. are there are gradations of a comedian said a shitty thing to another comedian that was misinterpreted and people that were boxed in a room and had to be fucking forced to deal with their own sexuality and somebody else's there there's differences so you have to be yeah. able to go you know we can we got to get on everyone gets a shot but the bigger deal is if we move the bigger rock more people get out and we got to move that big rock we get tied up in this little shit. It almost feels like somebody threw that as chum to keep us all, our eyes off of the bigger problem. Oh, so that's someone was just saying that the other day about the Louis C.K. thing and about the uh, all the all the stuff that uh, tr- Trump's releasing. Oh, Trump's releasing the uh, the um, tapes, uh, the the all the documents about who killed Kennedy. Right. And I was like, I was like, oh, how cool is that? And they're like, no, idiot. That it was Ari. He goes, no idiot. He's trying to get you to not focus on what's going on. And I was like, huh? He's like, you now you're about all about the Kennedy tapes. He goes, he's trying to throw you off his trail. I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. oh yeah, oh my god, yeah. I mean, look. At the end of the day, he probably just has some. Re- I mean, like in terms of like actual crimes, uh, he probably has some very fucking shady, fucked up laundry money laundering shit going on. That's probably yeah. his biggest, right? That's probably what they're going to get him on is some kind of like, you know, and it probably has something to do with Russia and, and there might be a lot of people involved, right? But most of what it is, is our senses have been rocked. We had an idea of how things were. We don't like the way he talks. We don't like what he's saying or some people don't. And it, and he's sort of like rattled our position in the world and he's banging around in this institution called the presidency where even the even your least favorite person that was in there you felt like i know but he's playing by the rules he was driving it the way it's supposed to be driven yeah and uh and uh i think that's what most people are frightened of you know um but everybody gets to clutch their pearls right now and everyone loves to clutch their pearls their pearls everybody acts like they hate this and i'm like you have something to talk about everywhere we go. There's something to talk about every 15 seconds. Clutch your pearls is such a great right? fucking phrase. That's what it is. It's clutching your pearl clutching. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that whole thing of like, oh my God. And did you, and look, I'm guilty of it too. And I'm judgy. And, you know, I, you know, like everybody else, when this stuff happens, you start going, man, uh, when have I been inappropriate? When have I, have I, you know, oh, is there something that's going to. I'm sure I've been inappropriate. You know, I'm not, I've never, I mean, I've never committed what i guess now is heinous crimes like in like i'm like i've never done anything like i've never uh i've never asked anyone if i could jack off in front of them i don't have in my head oh my god what did i do yeah right i have like oh my god dude that was you know but i don't have you know what i mean and i i mean i have that about haircuts like i have a lot of like regrets and i have made mistakes and i am i am uh uh i am far from perfect but um i really like you know um well, you know, were you great to every woman you ever met or even yeah. person or did you, did you make good on every promise you ever made to a comic when you're all sitting around? You know, you know some guys are like me, you said you were going to help me out. And you're like, oh, did I? Fuck, I was drunk. You know, I, I, you know, I've never taken a girl, a girl comic on the road and ever made her feel 
less than equal. I've, I mean, I, no. uh, obviously they've been features, so I'm like, hey, uh, you need to sell my shirts. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, but I've never, I've, I don't think I have. Um, and I don't think I've, I've never leveraged. But like, I grew up in a time where I, like I said to Leanne, my wife the other day, we were all talking about this and I was like, there are definitely more people that have seen my penis than wanted to. Like I've definitely, I grew up in a time where getting naked and running down run, and running down the stairs at a party was funny and it, or it, I guess it was sexual assault, but we didn't know it back then, you know? Well, I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, um, uh, especially when you're fucking young, man, you're like, there's no rules that you're at a college and yeah. look, there's no rules when you're at a college and that's dangerous. That can be very dangerous. And, uh, you know, raising girls, you start thinking about that stuff way earlier than you expected to. Fuck yeah. Now it's on it. Like, you know, you know, at around, you know, 11, 12, you're like, ah, people are looking at them and they, you know, and they thing and they're self-conscious and they're already on the defense, man. And we aren't on the defense until it's too late. And we go, Oh fuck. Well, what were we thinking? You know, because we are encouraged to, be fucking men and run around and do that stuff. And, you know, we all, I mean, I went to, I picked my college because of fucking animal house. I yeah. was like, well, that happened at the U of O and I, I've spent a lot of time in Oregon and that's where I want to go to college. I don't, I don't want to go anywhere else. I love that. That seems like what college is supposed to be drinking and being ridiculous. And, um, and then you look back on it and go, Oh, right. Okay. Well, that can also be reinterpreted in a whole different way. If you told somebody one of the best movies of the eighties was about a fraternity house that, you know, fucks up other fraternity houses. You go, ew, that sounds awful. And like, no, it, it was great. Yeah. You know, I said, to, I said on stage, there's two types of guys. There's guys who, uh, like to get naked in public. And there are guys that don't like guys that like to get naked in public. <laughs> and I was the first, like I used to literally, I used to have a joke where I'd try to put my dick in my buddy's pocket and then go, have you seen my wallet? You just get real close. And he's like, huh? Is it in your pocket? It was just the, f like, no, now that's rape. I mean, I'm raping my friends a little bit. You're not definitely not right. allowed to put your dick in someone's pocket. Right, 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 right. I feel like once you're, if you're putting a dick, if you're putting your dick in somebody's pocket, my guess is your relationship's fairly solid. Yeah. Oh, like, there was if, you're, there. if you're just randomly putting your dick in people's pockets. Not people I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I had my morals. Yeah, yeah. I used to, my, my, I took a shit in public and like, like that, just, I, like I look back and I go, yeah. Well, let's hope they don't hold us accountable for crimes we committed 25 years ago where I used to literally, I took a shit to win an election. Like I got up and took a shit to win an, I didn't give a speech. I just took a shit and I won. So I assume. The majority was cool with it. I mean, probably. And I think also people like, look, we, we can't go back and like, I mean, who knows? Maybe we are going to, maybe, maybe everyone's getting a phone call really soon. <laughs> like, maybe everyone's getting a phone everyone's call. Everyone's getting a phone call, man. <laughs> everyone's going to fucking, that phone's going to buzz one time and go, that doesn't feel right. Oh that shit. Wrong. 805 no, area code. You know, it's tough. It, it is. Uh, I, I know, you know, I was talking to someone about Louis the other day and I said, I hope in my heart, I hope, and I, uh, and I'm not positive this is probably what happened, but I hope that the day that that news story broke, his, there's a thought inside of him that finally went, ah, oh, it's over. You know, I'm caught. I'm done. Yeah. The relief of, this is all gonna go to shit. I fucked up and I have a lot of, I, have, you know, he's gonna pay the piper for it, right? But it's over. And I can, and I can say it. Whatever this thing is, it's wrong with me or makes me do this or whatever it is. I thought about that so much yeah, as this thing. was coming to a head. Yeah. And I said it on the podcast a couple of times. Halston was saying something to me about it. But I said, there's a big one that's coming. It's coming in a couple of weeks. And then I felt like, I felt like 
I felt like, uh, <laughs> my kid's a fucking moron. My kid is a fucking moron. What? Did you hear that? It was so her throwing the ball on the roof. Nice. Um, I, I said, I, I, and then I said, I'm complicit because I didn't rat him out. I knew that this was accurate. I didn't, you know. Here's the thing. So I, I had heard a story years and years ago. Too. I heard it from one of the girls. Me too. Yeah. This was years and years ago. Years and years By the way, Dave, Becky, your phone call to them didn't work. <laughs> they kept telling everybody. I, and I, oh, for, but this was the girl that I knew didn't, it is not a person who came forward. Oh, oh, oh. This okay. was many, many years ago, and she worked at a club and she told me, and, uh, and I said, did you tell the club owner or the cops? And she said, and, and lose my fucking job? Yeah. You think I can just lose a job? Nothing. He didn't touch her. He did exactly what happened in the, you know, he, per, per the description. Um, and I didn't know what to do with that information. I don't know. I didn't know him very well. I never knew him very well. You know, he was in passing and I fucking, I liked him. It was comedy. And I've just sort of like, because she had not, she was upset by it for sure. I don't know. I don't, well, not, I don't know what not, I would have done with the information. It's not your job. To, it's, it's definitely not your responsibility or job or right or place to tell someone. Like, I, like I've had a, I have a, there's a, a, a famous comedian stole a joke from me one time. And, uh, and, uh, I've told a couple of my close friends who did it and I've said to them, don't say anything. It's not, and then that's not, and that's not their right or, or I don't want them to say anything. Cause I don't, right. it's, cause I gotta deal with it. Right. And I can't go to Louie with hearsay and I yeah. can't say it to other people with hearsay and I have no proof. But what can happen that I think now probably couldn't end also because we didn't, we're all connected like the way we were. You hear enough stories about a guy and you fucking go, look, man, there's like 15 of us have had these stories. You know, what can we, you know, do we fucking, Confront the guy, or you just say, "Hey, man, now. you got to confront him." You got to say, hey, man. It's a, "At the very least, here's what's being said about you, about a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of people, and uh, if you need to take care of something, but you know what I mean. But I can't, I can't now. Not you now know, I know, yeah. or I've heard, and we've heard, and I think you can do that, and I think that's important, and I think you can tell girls that are comics." You know, you know, and they're going on the road or they ask you and you say, you know, this is what I've heard. You know, I there's think definitely a lot to learn for. I, I think I think everyone should know that if you go back to a comics room at two in the morning, uh, nothing good's going to happen. Don't expect anything good. Just don't do it. If you're single and you don't want to be with that person sexually, don't go at all. Just don't I like I don't let women back to my room because that's a married man like that doesn't right that shit doesn't fly right. I, don't, I don't care how interesting the conversation is you don't go back to my room that's i don't let my one. girls watch comedy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny it's like it's like um rebecca it, Corey did the right uh, thing she reported it she said no and reported it that's the right thing to do uh these poor young ladies that had it happen oh my god my daughter's calling me oh crap we need what do you need Someone to play ball with. Oh, baby, uh, give me. Uh, let me. I'll call you in a little bit. Okay. okay. <laughs> How the fuck? That's hilarious. I love that because she's also playing ball against the roof. She's playing ball against the roof. Yeah. But I want to. I don't. I don't want to. I'm not ready to stop talking. I know I got to let you get out of yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. But wait, but hold on. Um. So I'd like to get. I will get off the Louis thing because I don't think any we're gonna gonna solve anything. No. On this, and I think that. No. 
I think all any guy can do is say, I'm not a bad guy. That's all we all end up saying in this. I'm a bad guy, but I haven't done anything like that. I'm just... <laughs> I'm a bad guy, but I'm not. I'm not that bad. Yeah, I don't want to even say I'm not a bad guy because I never know anymore. I mean, and the way the rules change all the time, you may actually be a bad guy. Yeah. It, all, it all depends. But uh, but I want to talk about yeah. like you've your marriage and the and the nervous breakdown and how that affected that, and then and then and so I came home and uh, I came home in 2009. Like I really did come off the road and I canceled a bunch of work and it was a mistake. I'd like to have that money back, but. Um, but I needed to like get right with myself. And I started, that's when I started to really struggle with coming home. Wasn't the right idea either. You know, what I needed to do is go talk to somebody. I need yeah. to say to somebody, um, uh, Hey, you know, uh, I know I seem like I got it all going on and, but I don't, I, this, I think sometimes there'll be, there'll be these diagnoses of like, well, you're anxious. I'm like, well, you know, you have anxiety and you have depression. I don't know what those things mean, but they don't actually resonate with me because anxious to me seems sort of nervous and depressed seems kind of sad. And I'm a thing I can't explain. And my voice, the voices in my head won't shut up. And then I'm fine. And then I'm not. And then I'm fine. And then yeah. I'm not. So, and also the thing you're giving me, have you taken it? Because if you start to explain to me how that adventure is going to be and you have no context. So it's, it's pioneer days for that stuff and figuring out what the different manifestations of mental health problems are because yeah. they're not, it's not like you go crazy and you don't come back. Uh, it's not like these drugs can't work. They can if they are explained and you know, you're like, you're like, you have to work with them. Your brain chemistry is going to tell you something new and you have to know that because you can be present for your own insanity. That's the thing I learned. It's like, if you just slow down, you go, okay. Here's the voice that's telling me the truth, and here are the things I know I'm doing are wrong, and here's oh. and here's what they said is real, and you know I gotta like I gotta deal with all that, right? And I gotta talk to somebody, and I gotta and then I gotta start like for me, you know, I tried to solve it by taking the dog's pills. Now that sounds like well, that's a leap, Greg. Well, what happened was my dogs uh, had were old uh, to these two uh, rescues that we had. They were a uh, shepherd mixes and they had bad hips and they had a, uh, a pill that they both took every morning and it was hydrocodone and I didn't know what it was because I hadn't taken drugs for years, but I drifted from any kind of like program and I saw the sleepy face thing and said, well, it's this or suicide. So I think I'll take the dog pill and that kind of like quieted everything down. But unfortunately you can't stay on those. They're not good for you. And the drop from them when they're over is further down. So it's messy. So that's where that went. And the dog pill. I remember, I remember, and I apologize if I'm ratting him out. Yeah. I remember I, I heard this and it was one of the more fascinating stories I'd ever heard because apparently a dog's metabolism is different than a human's metabolism. Right. It burns faster. So they're, whatever they, whatever they were, the hydrocodone, they did the trick in a way that like, it was that what you were talking about, about alcohol. It was like, Everything, all the, everything just went, right? And it's nice when you have worry and you have a lot of people worrying in your head, uh, uh, to not worry. Problem with it is it doesn't solve the problem. And I think on a spiritualist sort of level, you bring a vibe with you. You know that like as in show business, you can tell when somebody's winning and you can tell when they're losing. Yeah. And even when people love you, they don't want to call you for some reason and you, because people, you forget that most people see you, uh, especially in show businesses, like 
look, man, you are a commodity. You've got to be a commodity. I don't want to fucking go to the shell station. And they got the fucking shells on the ground and they forgot to put what color is the station. Like, yeah. you're a fucking thing. Put that product back up. Make it shine, man. This is business. It's all business, man. Yeah. You're at a party. It's fucking business or don't go. Stop pretending we all need to be friends. We don't. And nobody wants to hear it. Take that to your fucking therapist. Don't even take it to your wife. It's not for her. Take it to a place where you can dump it and come back with a solution because unfortunately we, we, we want everyone to act perfect. And what most people do, especially around here is they stick with people who can help them only because they're trying to survive. That's all. We're all trying to move forward. And most people who are sad or depressed or angry, they feel like rocks. We don't want rocks as much as we love them, as much as we go, you know, Marin was a fucking rock for a long time. You're like, oh, this guy, fuck, man, be mad at everything. He just felt heavy. I remember I went to a radio station to do something. We were both on it. And I always liked him. And I always thought he was so smart. But he just seemed so fucking beaten. And and he was so he, he was he was so particular about who you were supposed to be and all this stuff. And it just was like, ugh. people were like, ugh. you know, and then it changed. He fucking dealt with it. He sort of dealt with it and, you know, off air, but he also dealt with it. He was dealing with it at the beginning of his show. It's fascinating. Yeah. He was trying to figure it out. So he was asking people questions and he was shitty at the beginning. He would say me, say, I read a bunch of mean things to Gaffigan. So your crowd's like mostly old women, right? And Gaffigan go, well, no, they're just people that, you know, he was trying to minimize it, right? He's trying to make himself feel better. But as time got on and now you hear him and he's, he's a teddy bear with everybody, but he, he feels like a winner, right? He changed people's thing. It took time. But that's what the requirement is for show business, and it's a lot of pressure because this is a campus that's you're always on campus, and you're and and the dog pills didn't work in an epic way. They only made the pain go away in the inside, but it didn't help me in any way that like. But I didn't know that, and I kept taking them, and then you were addicted to hydrocodone, which is a bummer, and and and. I just started drifting from everything. Now, for me, you start telling one lie. Why don't you tell a bunch of them? Why don't you, you can, fuck, all bets are off. What sh- What other things can I get up to that I'm not telling people about? Because Once you tell one lie. Sneaky, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's all in the same place. You're like, oh, man. And plus, no one's my friend anymore, and I deserve. And you go hunting for shit. You know, you go hunting for other ways to feel better about yourself or, you know, and I start drifting from my kids and I, like, you know. That that I can still say I'm doing something with my wife tonight is still a miracle to me. So I, you and your wife are still together. Yeah, that's man. Your wife is, but up one, until the moment, I mean, like, it's day by day, dude. <laughs> your wife is sounds like the coolest fucking chick in the world. Well, she love she love to hear that. Yeah, she. Yeah, yeah. I remember here. I you were. I think you were. I, I'm, I'm sure it was your storytelling that I've heard the stories of how you guys kept it together, but she was always like going. Like you, both of you kind of fought to keep it together. Yeah. I mean, I, at one point I was like, man, I'm trying to move out of this body. <laughs> right? yeah. So I can't imagine why you're still here, but she just wouldn't. She's like, I think she has a little bit of like, I'm not a fucking failure. I'm not going to lose this thing, That's you know? And life. I feel like, and I do feel like, and I do feel like women have that a little bit more than men. Yeah, guys are a little bit easier. Like, ah, I got to throw in the fucking towel. I don't know about that, you know. And so at, at a certain point you go, I, you know, I owe it to me, but I do owe it to her too, yeah. and my kids, you know. So, um, um, and so, and also we've been writing a how to be married book for fucking years and we just 
like we just approved the cover like we're just about Dude, to get it. i will read years. that in a fucking heartbeat I saw how to keep your marriage from sucking but it's just like i would love to i would love to have both you guys on with me and my oh, wife oh yeah I would love that. We love that too. We're starting a thing too, so we'll, maybe we'll have you guys on. Oh yeah, yeah. Do start yours and then have us on. I would love to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you had walk in the room. You just did your final episode, correct? What well, we've done like five final episodes. That show's okay. been over for like four years. And <laughs> like, um, I do a, uh, I do a, a, a podcast called Rock Out with Your Doc Out, which is just me and my friend Kay, who used to be in the band Letters to Cleo, and she and I talk about rock documentaries. That's it. Cause I'm fucking. I wanted to do something that like. Had nothing to do with my career. Yeah. Something's easy to talk about. Something's, and something I oh, love. Yeah. And I, every week I have to watch a doc, rock documentary. Like I gave myself a job I wanted to have. Best rock documentary out there. Just give me, just give me, give end me of the five century, good ones. The, end, end of the century. End of the, the century. Ramon, yeah. End of the century by the Ramones. Oh, okay. I'm in on that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dig, which is about two, uh, bands, uh, in the, one from Portland, one from Silver Lake that are, they're friends and they, uh, their careers go, differently and it's fascinating it's called dig. Dig. dig i'm watching these on the plane tomorrow yeah dig is a great one yeah um uh i'm trying to think of like okay my favorite of all time is the one um called um mistaken for strangers which is about the national but it's not it's about the lead singer and his ne'er-do-well brother who tries to make a movie about the band it's the most fascinating one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen about older sibling, younger siblings. Oh, wow. And because my sister and I were close, but you know, both were sort of messed up. I fucking un, it just undid me. Really? Um, yeah, it was, it Mistaken was for strangers. I mean, dig, yeah, yeah, yeah. end of the century. Yeah. I mean, there's ones I revisit just cause I lived it, which I love hype, which is the one that's about Seattle. Oh, uh, you yeah. know, and then there's the ones, the clouds, you know, the petty one is amazing. You know, that Eagles ones. I like the ones. The, uh, the Eagles one was pretty fucking phenomenal. Yeah, the Metallica the, one. Yeah, the Eagle, it was one where, where Don, uh, lead singer of the Eagles, Glenn, Glenn Fry was like, uh, man, I, he goes, uh, I was in a car with the, with the drug dealer and we were holding pretty heavy and we're flying down Malibu and we're going about 90 miles an hour. And I was like, Hey man, you need to chill the fuck out. We got a lot of drugs on us. And the guy goes, life in the fast lane. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, that makes a good song. Oh my god! <laughs> and then he turns into almost like uh, who's the guy from Fountain, the Fountainhead? Uh, look, yeah, right. He gets real like. You know, here's a cool story. So when I first moved down here, I was auditioning for shit. I was sort of a bigger dude, and I had kind of long, grungy hair. And I auditioned for Empire Records. And on my way out of my audition, which was awful, I walked into the wall and I knocked like 30 video cassettes on the floor. So the fucking casting director was like, she was howling and she goes, I got this other thing. I have you come in for next month. So it was Jerry Maguire. And it was to play a football fan who was obsessed with the the Tidwell character, you know, Cuba Gooding's character. And I run up to him after a game and I tell him, uh, remember that was used to be called a rotisserie football league. Yeah. And I say, you're in my fucking rotisserie league. And I would tell him how much I loved him. And then I'd see him more famous football player and just jet. So that was it. It was big scene. I, I auditioned. I heard nothing for months. Then I got a call. I was supposed to go to Cameron Crowe's office that afternoon. I went audition for him in his fucking, in his, uh, 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 trailer, uh, on the Sony lot. He was super sweet. I get the part. I go, I shoot it. It was fucking great. Like I shot it the whole night. It was like winning a contest. Like I go there, I have my own trailer for whatever reason. I've got a couple lines, so you know. And um, they do a lot of setup and shooting. And fucking Tom shakes my hand. It's me, Tom, and Cuba. 
uh, and a guy named Kenneth Keith Callenbach, who used to be on the Howard Stern show and is now dead. So it's us, and we're there all night, and Cameron Crowe comes up, and he just goes, how great is this, man? I was like, what? He goes, just this thing we're doing, man. It's just fun, right? I'm like, are you talking to the right guy? (laughs) And he just, without interrupting, he goes, I can tell you something, man. We were shooting with Fry at Glen Fry yesterday. I was like, oh, yeah. He goes, he plays the, and he's in the movie, and he plays the owner of the St. Louis or Los Angeles Cardinals or where they yeah. were at the time. And he goes, uh, it's the last scene of the movie, right? We shot it yesterday. And all he's supposed to do is just walk down the hallway and do, I'll call you. Just make the, I'll call you sign with his hands. And he walks down. He goes, all right, man. So we'll talk. We're going to get on the phone. Cut. Hey, man. Awesome. Just, just do the hand gesture. Okay. And action. All right, buddy. So we're going to do the cut. He goes, fucking 63 takes. What's that all about? And I'm like, are you telling this story to a fucking civilian? What's Why are you telling this about? weird Glenn Fry story? It was so what's, weird. What's that, what's that all about? All about? <laughs> it was fucking great. It was like I got a little inside show business with him. Yeah. I got to shake hands with Tom Cruise. At one point, I realized they set the shot up backwards, and I was like... You know, there's a billion people on the side. I raise my hand. Like, what? I go, I, am I wrong? Is everybody backwards? The market goes, we'll, we'll shoot the movie. And I was like, okay, right. And then they go, fuck me. He's right. They're all backwards. Why is everyone <laughs> in the wrong position? I was like, they let me have a win. Oh, like it was really, really fucking, That's it, so it was cool. really, really, really fun. Now, however, I got cut out of the movie, nice. which I didn't know about. Until somebody came up to me, this guy who I didn't really love, who came up to me at the gym and went, I was at the premiere of that movie last night. I didn't see you in it. Are you, is it, oh, maybe I blinked and I missed it. And I didn't know I'd been cut out. But Cameron Crowe had left me a phone message on my message machine where he said, man, it just didn't pet the scene, but you were awesome. And, you know, maybe someday we'll work together and, you know, whatever, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that was super cool. And then I decided I, I was never going to act again. <laughs> Like, I, can't, I can't take that heartbreak. Go out on top. Okay, you can't fuck with me like that. That's forget it. Oh, but, uh, dude. Yeah, but it was really, really fun. But the Glenn Fryer thing was so rando. Oh, right? it's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I I appreciate this. Dude, it this was great. Was so fun. Man. I've been wanting to do this with you for a while. And when when you and your wife do yours, or yeah. if you and your wife want to come over and it, do one with me and my wife, I would way, love man. that. Either yeah. way, I I man, I I I hope you know this. I I. I respect the living shit out of you and I look up to you and I think you're an amazing talent. And I, and I've been a fan of yours for a very long time silently. And I think vocally these last few oh. years, I've let you know how much dude, I, you put me back on television. You dude, may you may you that are that night with Ari, man, that fucking the way you introduced me and everything like that fucking like you don't know how helpful you were to me. So back at you, man. No, I, I dude, I, it was, I mean, you're fucking, we awesome, always dude. sing your praises. Every club I go to, man, people, every time I go to a club, people are like, Fuck, I'm still wiped out, man. He's yeah. awesome. People love you, dude. They love oh. you. They love you. And I was going to say this. If you decide to quit drinking, a fucking, a lot of people, like, whatever you decide to do, yeah. that's what's happening. <laughs> oh. That's what's happening. Yeah. Nothing else. Nobody else has, whatever it is, whatever you decide to do. You decide to go vegan, whatever it is, that's your decision. People will either follow you or they don't really like you. They can go hey. fuck themselves. Well, I will be making that decision in Tampa this weekend. You got any days coming up? <laughs> Um, what do I have coming up? Uh, no, nothing big. Nothing. I can't never remember. I'll get the dates I'm wrong. Bad. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll at Gregory Barron on on Twitter. 
And that's B E R H E N D T. Yeah, B E H R E N D T. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I just, it's just me just, just yelling at the president. It's all I do. <laughs> I just call him a thin skin. Like I, but I use a lot of adjectives. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Never responds. <laughs> well, I'm going to go have a catch with my daughter. Yeah. Uh, uh, dude, I appreciate you doing this, man. Thank yeah, you. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.